welcome to the Shoulder Physio Podcast, a podcast dedicated to exploring meaningful topics in musculoskeletal healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Powell. Before we begin, the primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The views expressed in this podcast by myself and any guests are information only, do not constitute professional advice and are general in nature. If you act on the basis of any podcast episode, you should obtain specific advice from a qualified health professional before proceeding. In this episode of the Shoulder Physio Podcast, I'm giving a monologue, my second ever monologue. I'm going to be discussing an editorial of mine published in the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy, otherwise known as JOSPT, in the year 2020. The paper is titled, Rotator Cuff Related Shoulder Pain. Is it time to reframe the advice you need to strengthen your shoulder? The form and structure of this podcast will be slightly different than usual. I will read the paper verbatim, but will sporadically pause for reflection along the way, providing more detail and nuance when needed. Because the paper is an editorial, it is pretty short. It's only 1,500 words or so, and thus I may have glossed over the main points of the paper too briefly. This is the nature of word count limitations. Therefore, the addition of more detail and nuance may be helpful for you. I hope that by doing this podcast, I can clarify some confusion about the main thesis of the paper. I've actually been quite surprised at the consistent misinterpretation and straw manning of the paper, mostly coming from people who have been shouting loudly on the internet about the all-curing nature of strengthening exercise. I hope you enjoy. Before we start the podcast, a quick note from our sponsor, Clinico. Clinico is a practice management software that's used by 65,000 practitioners worldwide. It's great for busy physios, which is why it's an endorsed partner of the Australian Physiotherapy Association and the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy in the UK. You'll find everything you need to run a successful physio practice in one place, like treatment notes, digital forms, online booking tools, customizable body charts, and much more. Clinico meets privacy legislation for Australia, the UK, the US, and Canada. So wherever you're based, Clinico will help keep you compliant. Charitable donations and giving back are a big part of Clinico. A minimum of 2% of all Clinico subscriptions are donated to charity each month, which means more than 1 million Australian dollars in total has been donated since Clinico was founded. Shoulder Physio podcast listeners can get 60 days for free. Signing up takes less time than this message. Visit clinico.com forward slash shoulder hyphen physio. Without further delay, I bring to you my monologue on strengthening exercise for shoulder pain. Over the past two decades, evidence supporting non-surgical management of non-traumatic rotator cuff related shoulder pain has grown. The most recent clinical practice guideline recommends advice, education, and non-surgical management as the primary approach to managing rotator cuff related shoulder pain. Non-traumatic rotator cuff-related shoulder pain is pain and dysfunction of the shoulder, commonly observed during shoulder elevation and or external rotation, for which other conditions have been excluded, such as a truly stiff shoulder or an unstable shoulder. Terms such as rotator cuff-related shoulder pain and subacromial shoulder pain, for example, may be more appropriate than traditional pathoanatomic diagnoses of the rotator cuff and related structures, including subacromial bursitis, rotator cuff tendinopathy, and partial and full thickness rotator cuff tears, as it is difficult to identify a specific structure or pathology as the primary contributor 
to an individual shoulder pain. The clinical presentation of rotator cuff-related shoulder pain is always influenced by individual cognitions, emotions, behaviors, and sociocultural factors that further complicate the pursuit of a single structure that causes shoulder pain. Pausing now for reflection. So the ongoing debate about the most appropriate diagnostic label for rotator cuff-related shoulder pain continues and probably will never end. Jeremy Lewis and I published a paper on this in the New Zealand Journal of Physiotherapy in 2022, and I've listed this paper in the show notes if you are interested. Some prominent physio personalities reckon impingement is the term of choice and should remain the chief diagnostic label for rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. I find this utterly befuddling. We have evidence from both quantitative and qualitative research that clearly shows that the term subacromial impingement syndrome can ignite thoughts from the patient that imaging and surgery are required to fix or effectively manage their shoulder pain. And we know this isn't true. Moreover, the veracity and validity of the impingement diagnosis is seriously questionable. Remember that this impingement diagnosis was proposed 50-odd years ago by, by Charles Near on the back of uh, a bit of anecdotal observation in his surgical practice. It really wasn't ever a strong theory. We have since spent the past 20 years studying this diagnosis to see whether it is valid or not. And basically, the, the research has pretty effectively refuted this diagnostic label. I also have serious reservations about nondescript terms such as nonspecific shoulder pain and shoulder sprain, basically because of patient skepticism. I like middle ground terms such as rotator cuff-related shoulder pain because it doesn't describe a pathology, but it also is tethered to something real in the world that is also coherent and intelligible to patients, and that is the rotator cuff. So because it doesn't describe a pathology, it doesn't say anything's torn or anything's inflamed. But because it is also tethered to something that is real and intelligible in the world, such as the rotator cuff, which is often linked to shoulder pain, I believe that the term rotator cuff-related shoulder pain is probably the best that we've got at the moment. And this is also reflected in the evidence in terms of uh, shoulder experts, where there's a consensus study by Chris Littlewood in 2019, which suggests this. And also a survey, which I've done, published last year, which shows that most clinicians prefer the term rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. Okay, back to the paper now. Quality non-surgical management of rotator cuff-related shoulder pain comprises a graduated or progressive program of resistance exercise against gra gravity and with external load, and occasionally in conjunction with stretching and mobility exercises of the shoulder structures and thoracic spine if you are so inclined. The pendulum swinging towards non-surgical management is underscored by research demonstrating that subacromial decompression surgery, once the gold standard intervention for rotator cuff-related shoulder pain, does not confer superior outcomes to non-surgical approaches or placebo. Resistance exercise and strength training more broadly is riding a wave of popularity for various non-traumatic musculoskeletal pain presentations and should be considered a veritable polypill with multi-system benefits. While exercise therapy has emerged as the primary intervention for managing rotator cuff-related shoulder pain, 
There is uncertainty regarding which exercise approach is best and the absolute benefit of exercise compared to non-exercise interventions. Pausing for reflection now. So if you were to go to PubMed and type in strengthening for shoulder pain or strengthening for musculoskeletal pain, you will observe an exponential increase in the number of studies exploring this topic in the last 10 to 15 years. Why? I reckon it's got something to do with the tendon research that became popular in the mid to late 2000s. Alfredson published his landmark eccentric loading for Achilles tendinopathy paper in 1998. Silbernagel published hers in 2001. And the Cook and Purdom continuum model of tendinopathy came out in 2009. And Jeremy Lewis applied this continuum model to the rotator cuff in 2010. These papers all suggest that loading, of which strengthening was crucial, was a key part of managing tendon-related pain. This research was trailblazing and I I think quite decisive in going from a, a physiotherapy model that was dominated by motor control type of exercises and stretching exercises and mobility exercises. And it really privileged and championed the role of strengthening. And I think this has been absolutely terrific for the evolution of physiotherapy for tendon-related pain. But have we become too obsessed with strengthening exercise? Now, I will alert you to a disclaimer My bias in my clinical practice and in managing my own injuries is strengthening exercise. And this will probably continue to be the case until I am confronted with level one evidence from a well-conducted randomized controlled trial and perhaps a systematic review or meta-analysis of several randomized controlled trials that, that shows me clearly that resistance or strengthening exercise is inferior to another type of approach. So my bias is strengthening. So please do not misinterpret that. Okay, returning to the paper now. So why do clinicians use resistance exercise for rotator cuff-related shoulder pain? So clinical reasoning in physiotherapy or physical therapy or osteopathy or chiropractic is traditionally embedded within a biomedical framework. Insofar as we are trained to pursue a measurable physical impairment, and if one is identified, apply an appropriate intervention to correct the impairment. This model of clinical reasoning works under the guise that pain and dysfunction arise due to observable deficits in physical properties of the body. For rotator cuff related shoulder pain, resistance exercise is typically prescribed to strengthen a weak shoulder. Resistance exercise may also be prescribed with the intent of improving shoulder girdle kinematics or timing and activations of peri-shoulder musculature. The implication is an assumed isomorphic relationship or a one-to-one relationship between shoulder strength, shoulder function, and shoulder pain. Increase strength to decrease pain and increase function. While this is biologically plausible, the reality is less certain. So movement and strength deficits characterize rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. Can resistance exercise help? People with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain have changes in movement and strength that can be measured. 
Some people with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain have altered scapular thoracic kinematics. However, there is widespread inconsistency in the type of alterations observed. Glenohumeral and scapular thoracic muscle timing and activity, often measured by electromyography, or EMG for short, varies in people with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain compared to people without symptoms. People with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain have deficits in external rotation and abduction strength of up to 50% when compared to an asymptomatic population. Strength deficits have also been observed in the scapulothoracic joint muscles, although not as profound as the glenohumeral joint muscles. Does improving shoulder mechanics and strength always improve pain and function? We suggest not. Strength gains with a typical rehabilitation regimen for rotator cuff-related shoulder pain are moderate at best, and often clinically unimportant. Scapular kinematics or scapular dyskinesis need not be normalized for pain and function to improve, and it is unclear whether scapular-focused exercise interventions are superior to general shoulder strengthening. It would be clinically impossible to prescribe an exercise that targeted the scapular muscles at the expense of the rotator cuff and vice versa. Restoring shoulder muscle timing and activity appears superfluous to overall improvement of pain and function in people with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. Despite the limited improvements in mechanical measures of the shoulder, there are often substantial improvements in pain and function in trials that use resistance exercise for rehabilitation. We suggest these clinical phenomena challenge the relationship between shoulder strength, function, and pain. Okay, pausing now for reflection. In shoulder exercise research, there are a dearth of mediation analyses, which is a particular type of quantitative methodology that is used to identify mediators of outcomes. So this is the type of research that we need to actually determine if getting stronger or increasing strength or improving scapular kinematics is actually what mediates so what is causally responsible for the effect of exercise on pain and functional outcomes? Since this paper, my paper, the viewpoint that I'm reading was published in 2020, one mediation analysis has been published. And this was by Hotter et al. 2022, which I will list in the show notes. The results of this study report that scapular position and motion, so static scapular position and scapular motion, and periscapular muscle strength do not, and I repeat, do not mediate improvements in shoulder pain and function in people with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. So scapular position, scapular motion, and periscapular muscle strength are not causally responsible for the improvements that we see in people with shoulder pain in response to an exercise program. So I'm going to clarify again, what do I mean by mediate? A mediator is an intermediary variable, for example, strength, that is causally influenced by an intervention, for example, resistance exercise, and then causally influences an outcome, for example, pain. So a mediator is an intermediate variable, which is strength or scapular kinematics, that is causally influenced by an intervention, for example, resistance exercise, and then this intermediary variable then causally influences the outcome. This is a mediator. Returning to the paper now, 
So why the limited increases in strength? Is it because of underloaded exercise and excessively cautious therapists? A frequent critique of clinical trials using resistance exercise is they are underloaded and overly cautious. It is possible that a more stringent application of strength and conditioning principles, such as intensity, volume, and duration of training, could elicit a more dramatic increase in shoulder strength. However, it is unclear if this would translate into similar improvements in shoulder pain and function. Trials that purport to employ high load resistance exercise often report underwhelming improvements in strength. And it is unclear whether high dose, high load or high volume resistance exercise is clinically superior to low dose, which is low load or low volume resistance exercise for rotator cuff related shoulder pain. Okay, pausing for reflection. The dogmatic belief that high load or high dose exercise is better than low load or low dose exercise is unfounded, not just for shoulder pain either. Several papers exploring exercise for knee osteoarthritis over the last three years have shown this. Check the Messier et al. 2021 paper in the show notes for an example. There was a section of the social media physio and strength and conditioning coach provocateur community that constantly said the reason we get such bad results with resistance exercise in research is because it is underloaded. This might still be true. However, the research as it currently stands suggests otherwise. We can't say that simply performing a high load exercise is sufficient to have a tangible and dramatic increasing strength that will then have a tangible and dramatic reduction in pain of the knee or of the shoulder or any other joint we want to talk about. Okay, so back to the paper now. Have clinicians been seduced by the hype of strengthening? Manual therapy, once a mainstay of non-surgical management for rotator cuff-related shoulder pain, has not stood the test of rigorous trials. Many proponents of you only need to get strong may suffer a similar demise, as the next generation treatment approach, strength training, has not yet passed muster through rigorous clinical trials. Perhaps informing a person with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain, you are weak, you simply need to get stronger, may be as counterproductive as telling the person you have poor posture and it needs to be improved. It is essential that clinical trials test modern strength and conditioning principles to establish the relationship between strength, function, and shoulder pain. Is there more to resistance exercise that meets the eye for rotator cuff-related shoulder pain? Emerging evidence suggests non-traumatic rotator cuff-related shoulder pain is a multidimensional condition associated with several biopsychosocial subdomains. The severity of shoulder pain and level of shoulder function do not appear strongly associated with shoulder strength. There is more to rotator cuff-related shoulder pain than simple strength, and the same could be said for resistance exercise. Exercise, including resistance exercise, may have a hypoalgesic effect. It may improve health-related quality of life, improve pain-related self-efficacy and confidence, influence systemic inflammatory markers, simply mark time while nature takes its course, provide a distraction and potentially lead to a re-evaluation of pain. Clinicians might consider these factors when prescribing resistance exercise as part of a rehabilitation regimen for a person with non-traumatic rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. Okay, pausing for reflection. This is a crucial pause. I still propose that resistance exercise is the best bang-for-your-buck exercise approach available for rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. The compounding effect 
of regular resistance exercise for general and shoulder health is undeniable. And I am a huge advocate. I recommend resistance exercise to over 80% of my shoulder patients. But I am simply asking you to consider that resistance exercise might be working via different causal mechanisms than simply increasing shoulder strength. So you need not adhere to strict strength and conditioning principles to help someone's pain. You can be flexible and versatile. However, if you are rehabilitating or seeing a high-level athlete that needs to have a certain level of strength and power and endurance in their shoulder to perform at a high level, then of course, take this into account. But merely for pain, this probably goes beyond simply simple strength and conditioning principles. Okay, back to the paper now. Integrating resistance exercise into a modern understanding of rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. A modern interpretation of pain emphasizes a multidimensional experience, far more than a simple linear readout of sensory input from the peripheral tissue. Perhaps clinicians could apply this logic to mechanical measures of the shoulder. Variables such as shoulder strength and scapular thoracic kinematics may be relevant to non-traumatic rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. However, devoting an inequitable amount of time and attention to these factors may be a naive and inadequate approach. Summary, we are concerned that resistance exercise for managing rotator cuff-related shoulder pain is at risk of becoming a blunt instrument used without critical thought in a classic recipe-based approach. Awkwardly, this is an illustration of the type of biomedical clinical reasoning the profession of physical therapy has spent the past two, two decades or more trying to avoid. Resistance exercise has a place in a quality rehabilitation program for people with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain to improve how the shoulder functions, to increase shoulder confidence, and help reduce pain. Resistance exercise is an important and cost-effective intervention and physical therapists should not be afraid to use it. We argue there is nuance to consider when using resistance exercise for rehabilitation. Okay, was this too long and you didn't read it? So TLDR, here are five main points. People with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain often have demonstrable variations in kinematics, strength, and muscle timing and activation profiles compared to people without rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. Resistance exercise can improve shoulder pain and functional in function in people with rotator cuff-related shoulder pain without normalizing shoulder mechanical factors of strength, scapulothoracic kinematics, and muscle timing and activation. Non-traumatic rotator cuff-related shoulder pain is a multidimensional condition that requires a multidimensional approach. The rationale for prescribing resistance exercise for non-traumatic rotator cuff-related shoulder pain needs to be re reframed as a multidimensional intervention that can offer benefit by numerous interrelated biopsychosocial processes, not simply by increasing shoulder strength or improving shoulder mechanics. Future research should study the ideal dose of resistance exercise, considering training variables such as intensity, volume, and duration for managing rotator cuff-related shoulder pain. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Shoulder Physio Podcast with yours truly. I hope I was able to clarify some possible misconceptions emanating from my paper. If you want more information about today's episode, check out our show notes at www.shoulderphysio.com. 
If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to follow and subscribe on your podcast player of choice and leave a rating or review. It really helps the show reach more people. Thanks for listening. I'll chat to you soon. The Shoulder Physio Podcast would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded from the lands of the Tiribalang people. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which each of you are living, learning and working from every day. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia.